we've had great fun here technically this morning because it's Monday. But you know, like everything else, we, we just keep moving forward, which is a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. So good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and today is Monday. So right now we're doing parent-to-parent talks on Monday, as long as you guys still say that you want them. Today, as you can see on the screen, it's Monday, September 19th, 2022. It's uh, a very interesting week already. But I'm thrilled that I'm going to be here with you guys for the next hour live talking about a subject that I know a thing or three about, which is the feeling of being overwhelmed and and what that is and, and how we come to it, how we come to look at it, and tools that we can put into our backpack so that we can manage it. So we're going to be talking about that for the next hour. And I Max has already written in and said, I need some help on feeling overwhelmed. We're in the process of getting our daughter tested, uh, have the evaluation and testing coming up, and so far have set her up for occupational therapy and have an IEP set for her for kindergarten. So Max, I'm, I'm sending you a hug because there are a lot of people, myself included, who have been through this process before and we have an awareness. It's different for everybody, right? But we have an awareness of some of the things that are probably racing through your mind about how are we going to do all this? Why is it taking so long? Am I up to this challenge? Am I doing everything that I can? Um, and, you know, ad infinitum, like multiply that times 374. So first thing I'm going to do is hug you and say that you're among friendlies. Because here on this show, we talk about autism from a 360-degree perspective. And our goal here, our mission is to provide information and inspiration to the autism community. And I always say the larger autism community because that, of course, of course, starts with individuals who are on the spectrum. They are the beating heart of our community. But then it includes everyone who loves those individuals, who loves and cares about those individuals. That is what our community is here because we all want to be good allies. You love your daughter. There's like things that I know for sure, you love your daughter and that you want to help her to be able to do what she needs to be able to do in her life so that she can have success for herself. And a lot is going to change over the next couple of years. But Max, I have to tell you a little secret. You're doing a great job. Can I tell you how I know that? Because I don't know you personally, but I know for sure that you're doing a good job because... You're here, which means that you researched and you looked around because uh, we're not on billboards. And, you know, so some you either asked somebody and they told you or you found us because you searched and you're looking for answers. And can I tell you that one of the biggest predict- predictors of success for kids on the spectrum are, is having someone in their life like you who is looking for answers. Now, um, uh, and Anna says yes and, and thank you. So I, I know that it's hard and, and I can't know all the things because everybody's circumstances are different and I have no idea what hills you had to climb over to get to the point where you're getting a diagnosis, you've got an IEP scheduled and kindergarten is on the way. And I don't know if she's already started kindergarten or kindergarten will be next year. I think it would be really early to have an IEP for a kindergarten next year, but write in and tell us anything that you want to share. 
And, and by the way, for, for those of you who are watching and you're like, well, I want to be a part of the conversation, we're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, and Twitter, and about 12 other sites. And Traven is going to show you uh, a bunch of those sites uh, where we're live and places where we podcast because we're live right now with you. And then later on, this will be available as it, it will be available on YouTube, first of all, with the video, but it'll be available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, Traven's going to show you those things if he can surmount the technical problems that we're having because right now, I don't know on your monitor, but I'm ghosting myself. Uh, <laughs> it's, we have gremlins sometimes, you guys. I don't know why these things happen. But um, in any case, at some point, Traven will show you a bunch of the different places where you can connect with us. Um, and you can search us. We have a link tree that's out. I, I, I don't really even understand how that is, but there's a QR code that shows you all the places that we are. So we hope that you will find us in the way that is best for you and that you can connect to that um, and connect to us. But I also like to remind you, you can write directly to me. Sometimes there's pertinent details that you want me to know, but you don't necessarily want to put it out into the, you know, the, the, the world that is available on the social media sites. So you can, you can always write directly to me. And if there are some things that you say, Shannon, you know, I don't ever say your child's name because I just like, you know, always walk tenderly around that. Um, but if there are other things that you don't want said that you think people will know that it's you, we really want to preserve your anonymity. So you can just say, please don't mention this on the air, but I want you to know uh, right? We always appreciate as much information as you can give us. My email is Shannon, S-H-A-N-N-O-N, at autism-live.com. Shannon at autism-live.com. And at some point when we fix the the problems, we'll, the technical problems, we'll put that up on the screen for you. Um, but, uh, and, and I see you guys are starting to write in and we, we absolutely love that. And we are going to be talking about the overwhelm and Max giving you some things today that might help you. There it is. See, Traven is so good. Shannon at autism-live.com. Irene says, I get together with other moms who have a son or daughter with autism once a month. We may go to the movies or go out to eat or just for coffee. And I imagine that that's really helpful, Irene, because one of the things that we're going to talk about is that you do have a tribe and that being a part of a fellowship serves a bunch of different purposes to help you to manage the overwhelmed. Uh, We won't say that it gets rid of the overwhelmed because that would be crazy talk, but it helps to manage the overwhelm when other people talk to you and you go, oh, I'm not alone on a planet in Mars. And other people have managed this and they survived and they thrived. Oh, okay, as long as I know that that's a possibility. Dark Angel says, I'm not even overwhelmed. I'm a dead walking woman. Oh, my girl. There is nothing that can make me forget how my three-and-a-half-year-old used to talk to me, and now he can't talk. Oh, my dear. I, I understand so much more than you possibly could know. Yeah, this is why we have the tissues close by. Let me just say to you, Dark Angel, that you're an amazing mom. You're not a dead woman. That there is so much going on that sometimes it feels like a part of you has died, and I, and I will say that I think that that is true. A part of you that was naive and thought that everything always was going to be okay and that it wasn't going to be hard and what parented, parenthood was going to look like. I always tell people, see the field in the background over there? That's what I thought parenthood looked like. 
I thought that when I, I was going to have this pudgy little elf and that he and I were going to run in that field and we were going to chase yellow butterflies and that it was going to be happiness and that was all that there was going to be. And in my dream of parenthood, there was certainly no autism, but there was also no poopy diapers and there was no bills to be paid and and there were only people who loved us and wanted the best for my child and wanted him to be happy and safe all the time. I want to tell you, though, Dark Angel, that I went through a period of time where my son was talking to me in complete sentences. And then for him, you know, some people have it where it stops overnight. But for him, and I'm talking about this guy here, um, he lost it gradually where words went away a little at a time. I would say it was like I would put him to bed and a thief would come in in the night and steal just a piece of him that was small enough that only the main person who's with him, who was me, would notice and go, hey, why, why, would, why was he saying this full complete sentence yesterday and he's not today, right? Um, until finally it was, you know, that, that, that a word a day adds up and he wasn't speaking anymore and then it was catastrophic and I felt that I had lost him forever. And, and it was, whoo, overwhelmed? Yeah, mm-hmm. it was so overwhelmed and the sorrow and the grief that comes with that. And I want to say to our friends who are on the spectrum that are watching, I want you to know that when we talk about this and the sorrow and the grief, it's not sorrow and grief over our children. It's over what we thought we had and what we thought we lost. Um, because, And I, I'm couching it that way, Dark Angel, because I thought I had lost that forever. It turns out I didn't. And it, it, it took a long time to get to the place where I knew that, years, maybe a decade. So I'm, I'm not trying to say to you that it's an overnight thing and that I have a magic wand and that I can bonk you with it and it's all going to be okay. But I see you here. I see you claim your seat. I see you trying. I see you working really hard. And I know that this, on this journey, that's the important thing. And I don't know where your child is going to end up. I don't know what your story is going to be down the road. But I can tell you that because you're doing the work that you're doing right now, it's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. And and you're going to see that. And it may not be right now. I thought I was dead too. I really did. And I started having panic attacks because it, it was like I had nothing, no place left to go to have panic attacks. But, you know, my favorite phrase is, it's all going to be okay in the end. And if it's not okay now, then it's definitely not the end. And I do understand, Dark Angel, that what I, you know, it's hard. Uh, People would tell me it was going to be okay, and I didn't believe them. I couldn't believe them because I had a path to walk, right? But I walked it. I still find that shocking. Can I tell you that after my, and I've, you know, I've said this before publicly, but it's harsh. After my son was diagnosed and I began to realize how much needed to be done and I felt that I probably wasn't good enough to do it. I felt that I wasn't up to the task. I I just shook in my shoes because I was like, what if I can't, what if I'm not Wonder Woman? You know, because it seemed to me that it took being Wonder Woman. And let me be honest, I am not Wonder Woman. Um, And I, but I really truly did not feel that I was up to the task. And there was a part of me that when my son wasn't in the car with me, the thought occurred to me that I wouldn't mind if I got into a car accident where I could be in a coma 
for eight years and wake up and see that somebody else had done the work. And I say that not because I wanted it to happen, but because that was my true feeling in that moment because I didn't feel up to it. I felt overwhelmed. That isn't what happened. Thank God and everything above, that isn't what happened. But what I did was I started to take things day by day and say, I'm just going to be on the path today and and I'm going to move through some of this stuff. And that's what I want to give to you guys today. But I'm throwing my loving arms around you, Dark Angel, and telling you, you're not dead. I'm here. I see you. You're amazing. You are walking and talking and breathing every day and making a difference. You're making Grand Canyon. And you'll get there. You'll get there. I don't know where there is, but you're going to get to a place that's so much better than this. And you will get to have a conversation with your son. I don't know whether it will be verbal, but there's every reason to hope that it will be. Um, and I have that. So I, I want to put that in your backpack. If I, if I had it, there's a possibility that you can have it. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, Irene, I see, I see what you're saying there. And Liliana, uh, hello from Riverside. Uh, we're going to talk about all of this. So in any case, I hope that like these folks, if you want to write in right now on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, especially, we'll get those comments directly and uh, we can address them. But let's let's start to dive in here to the overwhelm because, you know, you can't talk about something too long without getting anxiety about it, right? So let's see. Is it going to work, Traven? There we go. Oh, no, I think I advanced more than one. Oh, oh, no, I advanced more than... Okay, so we're talking about overwhelm. This is dealing with the feelings, the stressors, and realities of life. And, you know, everybody has feelings, everybody has stress, and everybody has different realities. So we're not presuming here that it's one size fits all. I have to give that disclaimer from the beginning. And some people have more in their shopping cart than others. And some people uh, just have this innate ability and they have other things in place that help them to deal with what's in their shopping cart. So I have seen people that I go, I, I don't know how you can possibly be dealing with what's in your shopping cart. Uh, you know, I just have one child who was on the spectrum and that's, that's the only thing that I had going on. And when I see some of you all who have five kids on the spectrum and I go, ha, 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 are you managing that shopping cart. And sometimes it's because they have, they already had things in place because of other stressors in their life. Um, you know, but so it's not equal and even, and just because you, maybe you only have one child on the spectrum, that doesn't mean that your stress isn't valid. It's not a thing where we can really comparison, uh, shop on this. It's, it's, it's personal. Your shopping cart, what you have to deal with, and that way that you deal with it is personal, and it's all valid. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, you're so lucky you don't get to feel overwhelmed. I call poppycock on that. Overwhelmed is a real thing. We're not denying it. We're not going to push it away and say that we should be better and not feel overwhelmed. Um, So let's, for me... I used the word overwhelmed so many times in the first two years after my son got diagnosed with autism 
that at one point I was like, I don't even know what that word means anymore. I have, I, I like honestly, don't, like what, what is it? And I went and got out the dictionary. Now the dictionary that I got out, this was back when, you know, we still had like paper dictionaries. The dictionary that I got out said something different than this, but it's close enough. So I gave you the Cambridge Oxford Dictionary definition. If something overwhelms someone or something, it is too much or almost too much for them to manage. And, and then I put the etymology in here too because what I found, I looked up overwhelmed, I didn't like the, the definition, and so then I looked up whelmed, right? And, for, and what I discovered is that the word whelmed means to be underwater. And so when you were overwhelmed, you're significantly underwater. And take a look at the etymology of this, that uh, some of the origins of this word is to turn upside down overthrow, knock over, uh, again, to, to turn something upside down or to submerge completely, as in, you know, uh, submerging a boat, wash over, overset by a big wave. I don't know about you, but all of those things resonated deeply with me because it, the feeling for me when I was overwhelmed then, and believe me, I still get overwhelmed now. It's, it doesn't go away. Um, it, we just manage it differently, right? But it, sometimes it felt like I was underwater and then a big wave would come and I would be so far underwater that I didn't know how to manage it. And that's really what I want to talk about today is managing it. Not getting rid of it because I think that... Um, Sometimes what people say to us, and I'm sure that they mean well, and they're like, well, you just need to get over it. This is your life. Your child was diagnosed with autism or you were diagnosed with autism and you just need to get over it. And I would love to meet a person who found that helpful ever. I I don't think they exist because I don't think that's the ticket. I've never seen that work. This, you know, suck it up mentality. I, I I don't see any fruit there. I do think it's important, though, to be walking towards acceptance of the fact that these feelings are a part of your reality, that that I don't know about you, and please speak up, those of you who are watching live, but I felt guilty about being overwhelmed. I felt guilty that, uh, about being afraid. I felt guilty about not feeling worthy and not being enough. I was like, that's not even valid. That's not going to help. I need to suck it up. You know, uh, what's that thing that the, the soldiers say? They say, gut up, soldier, right? And I just kept saying to m- myself, gut up, girl, you know, and I wasn't able to because I, I was like, I don't even know how to. So I'm saying to you, how about if we don't do that? How about if we accept and normalize that there are stressors that are different from your cousin Latrice, that she has three kids and she goes, oh, I know because I have three kids and you're like, yes, and I only have one kid, but my kid is on the spectrum. I have a different laundry basket full of things than you do. So I'm allowed to feel overwhelmed and I'm allowed to have the feelings that I have, whatever they are, and I don't judge myself for feeling any of them. It doesn't make you a bad parent. In fact, to acknowledge those feelings and to say, I'm, 
on the struggle bus here, I'm having a hard time with this, is the first step towards getting some help. It's acknowledging this is not easy. And in acknowledging that it's not easy, it means you haven't given up. And that is part of the bigger definition of being a really good parent. I remember even when I was pregnant, I was worried. I was like, what if I'm not a good parent? What if I'm just not that person? What if I'm, and a really dear friend of mine said, you know, we only have one responsibility as a parent, really, when you think about it, and that's to make them feel loved. And whenever I have a hard time, I remind myself of that, that that's the biggest gift that we give our kids. And I know that you guys are up to that challenge. You are here because of love, because you want their life to be better, because you want to connect with your kiddo. Guess what? That's okay. And it's okay to cry about the fact that, at least for the moment, that might be diminished or taken away from you. It's okay to have those feelings. So we're going to start, first of all, by accepting all of our feelings as being valid and okay, and there's nothing abnormal And it doesn't make you a bad parent, and it doesn't mean that you don't love your child. It really doesn't. Um, You can you can have all the feelings, and and for me, it's it's like the Elizabeth Kubler Ross thing about you know you're gonna go through anger, you're gonna go through denial, you're gonna go through bargaining, um, you're gonna go through all of those stages. But all of those stages help move you to the acceptance part. And right now, I'm just talking about the acceptance of your feelings, not the acceptance of the diagnosis, not the acceptance of what people are telling you is going to be the rest of your life. Let's just start by accepting the feelings and saying, boy, is there anybody here who doesn't at some point feel overwhelmed? If you say you don't ever, I'm, I'm going to call foul and say, I don't think that's true. So if we're all feeling that, then there must be something that's at least a little normal about it. And, and hopefully that feeling of, oh, I'm right on schedule, I'm feeling all the things that I'm supposed to feel, will at least take the fear out of it. I always call it the fearectomy. Let's take the fear and put it over here. Let's, let's say that what you're feeling is normal, it's expected, there's nothing bad about it, we're not judging it, we're not calling it good or bad, it is, right? That's what acceptance is. And then you forgive yourself. Forgive yourself for ever. I love the Ileana Van Zandt thing about forgive yourself for ever thinking you were wrong for feeling what you're feeling. You aren't wrong. You aren't wrong. If you were, then we wouldn't all feel the same way, right? Um, it's okay. Um, yeah, I, I see uh, Max says, it makes me nervous. I'm not sure what I'm doing all of the times, but we're still going strong even while looking for a place. And that's the truth, Right? And we all want the definitive answer about, am I doing the right thing? And it's, it's impossible, you know. But I, I always like to go back to the example of when a plane takes off from Los Angeles and it's on its way to New York, over 50% of the time they're off course. So how do they actually get to New York? They're constantly making little adjustments along the way. They're like, oh, now we got to, oh, now we're a little too far this way. Now we're a little too, but they keep making those adjustments and they land where they're supposed to. So, you know, you're not going to arrive before you arrive, and, and every day you're going to ask yourself, am I doing the right thing? Is there more that needs to be done? Just don't beat yourself up with it. 
and just make little course corrections and go, okay, you know, this doesn't seem to be working. Don't just make huge sweeping course corrections, make little ones. Okay, now we're going to try this. Now we're going to try that. And you will find your way. You absolutely will. Um, Sarah says, sometimes I don't let myself get overwhelmed and tell myself I don't have time to feel this way. I need to act now and just move forward one step at a time. I don't allow myself for wallowing. Okay, and, I, and I, I, we are going to talk about taking action. That Taking action is a way to get you out of the cycle of overwhelmed, but I also want you to make sure that you find a time and a way and a day and a how or a minute or an hour on a regular basis to allow it to flow. And we'll talk about how, how the, all, the many different ways that you can do that. Because I will tell you, Sarah, that if you don't, you bottle it up and then it leaks out on the day and the time when it isn't convenient. That you will be talking to the expert that you've been waiting a month to go to and then all of a sudden the blubber bust comes out and it's everything that you're feeling. Um, And I think it's better to let the steam out on a regular basis than trying to bottle it. The other thing that I've seen is that people get sick. Parents get sick because you can't hold all that in. You got to keep letting the steam valve out, um, so that you can, uh, you know, be there in the way in the days that you need to be. I see a bunch of things um, that uh, you guys are writing in, um, and Aisha says that's how I feel uh, till now. Oh, boop, boop, I went, I jumped ahead. Um, she said uh, I feel that there is no time to cry. I think we have to, sometimes you got to schedule it and it might be that it's in the shower, right? But there ha- we got to build in a time for you to have your feelings in a way that is safe for you and that you don't feel like you're going off, off a cliff. But I can tell you the longer you let it bottle up, the more when you let it pop, it's going to feel like you're going off a cliff. Here's what I know. The human body can only cry for so long Um, and then it moves into something else. And sometimes it moves into laughter. It's all normal. So, but the longer you let it go, the scarier it is when, when you let the, the feelings pop off. So I do want to encourage you now when we're feeling overwhelmed, there's, there's something in particular that I want us to think about because there are things that can amplify the overwhelmed and we call this halt when you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. All of the feelings that you have go whoop and they get much, much bigger. And when we have these things in check or when we can notice I'm really struggling today and if you can just go down the checklist, am I any of those things? I'll tell you what's great is that most of these things are actionable. Some of them are harder than others, right? But most of them you can do an action to alleviate that and it does help with the overwhelm. That, you know, sometimes we forget that we need to eat on a regular basis and we get into a place where we're, you know, we're not feeling right. So making sure that you're eating on a, you know, keeping your blood sugar where it needs to be is important. It's, there's so much to be angry about. And again, for my lovely self-advocates who are watching, we're not angry at you. I think upon much reflection that we're, it seems like sometimes we're angry at the autism, but I, I think when you keep peeling the layers back, what we're, really what we're angry at is that we, we can't make sense of things, right? That we don't know what to do. And that is really fear 
a lot of times anger is masking as fear. But there are times, and I think the biggest stressor for people who love individuals on the spectrum is that we, when we try to suit up and show up to get them services, there are all these things blocking us. And sometimes it's stupid people. I don't know about you, but I get angry about that. I do. I do. And sometimes that anger is useful, right? Because it spurs us into action. But sometimes we get stuck in the anger and it's all we have. So when you're feeling overwhelmed, check yourself and go, what am I feeling angry about? And if you're brave and if you feel like you can, you know, talk to yourself or I love to write my anger out. I write letters to the person that I'm angry about. And by the end of the, and I spew, oh, I spew horrible things on the paper that I could never share, right? Oh, the, the four letter words, right? When I'm writing to somebody that I'm angry about, but by the bottom I get to what the truth is, is that I'm afraid. I'm afraid that you, you know, there was a time when I wrote a letter, which I have read publicly, but it's so shameful and bad, you guys. It's just shocking. Um, About There was a group of women, I called them the coven of witches, who sat on my son's IEP team for a couple of years, and they were just, mm, I don't know how they slept. Let's say that, okay? Let's not not be rude and mean. But I called them a bunch of names in this letter that I wrote to them um, and said how horrible they were and how, how horrible it was to try to deny a child something out of some sense of something else that I couldn't even understand. But I got to the bottom of the letter and I said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that the four of you are stronger than I am and that he won't get what he needs because I'm not as strong as four of you. And then I cried. Then I cried because I got to the fear, which helped me to realize where my anger was. And then I could use the anger to say, I'm not allowing that to happen. I will use everything that I have in my arsenal uh, and I will get three other people to stand with me. And there's always three other autism parents who will stand with you so that you don't get to take that away from my child, right? Um, but check yourself, is it anger, right? And then the lonely is hard. The lonely is really hard because a lot of you are facing this alone. Um, the other person couldn't hang and has left you alone with this. And that is really hard. But I have to tell you, and I know it's not the same thing because you always want to have your person, but there is a whole tribe of us who have you. You are in our arms. You do not have to be alone in this. And I hear, you know, myself, it's not the same thing. Everybody wants to have a significant other. Uh, But even you can have a significant other and feel very lonely in this, right? But you have a tribe. You are never alone. And the other one is tired. I think um, almost every autism parent I know is exhausted and isn't getting the sleep that they need to. So this one is the hardest because part of the reason why you're not getting the sleep is because you don't have people to help you to do it. And when you're overwhelmed, you have all these things to do But I will tell you that one of the first things that we have to do is prioritize getting you rest. That may not mean sleep, but it it does mean rest, downtime, times when you don't have to be on the habit trail of how am I going to help my child. There are times when you have to put it aside. And people do that in different ways. For some people, that's, you know, exercise and yoga or painting or whatever, and we're going to talk about those. But... Sometimes you just flat out need sleep. 
and courting that sleep is going to be hard, but you're, but we do have to prioritize and you got to ask, what do I have in my arsenal? Who do I have who could be, or where could I take my child that my child would be safe so that I could get sleep? I know people that took their kids, um, to a gym where they had a daycare where they had gone through and seen that their child could go to the daycare and be safe and then they wouldn't work out they would go sleep in their car because that was the only way that they could get an hour's worth of sleep and sleep or rest we cannot uh, like sleep is great because we love when you get to that REM um, it's good for the psyche but if you can't if you can't court the sleep and it's not possible rest is a really good second choice. So ask yourself, what of these things am I on? And you also can say, what can I do about these things? Some of them are faster, you know, than others. You can pretty much, I hope, you can get something to eat fairly quickly. Okay, so here are some tools to put into our backpack of things that when the overwhelmed is on you, that you can say, okay, here's what I can do. And the number one thing is breathe. I... Man, there is something about when you have all the feelings that there's this, it's like which comes first, the chicken or the egg? But we tense up, so our lungs tense up, and we don't breathe or we breathe shallowly. And and when we do that, it sends a message to the brain that the brain says, something's not right, you know, I need to put out all these chemicals because we're in danger, and then that makes you tighter and it makes your breath more shallow, which sends more message to the brain that says panic, right? And it sets up this thing and you're spitting out cortisol, which makes it hard to walk it down. So we, we need to get a gripster on that and, and it starts with the breath. It's really the simplest thing and it's the free thing and it's always available. So that's why it's at the top of the list and it really is the best thing to stop the cycle. And what I advocate for is just starting with three breaths. Now, I didn't invent this. There was a monk that used to be on Oprah and his name was Norman. He was the monk named Norman and he said, three breaths change the world. And I heard that at a time that I needed to hear it. I have to remind myself even now that it's always available. So let's all, right now, we're going to take three really slow and deep breaths and we're going to take three really slow and deep exhales as much as you can. And it might make you cough and it might feel weird, right? But we're going to roll with it. So everybody right now, you know, put yourself someplace where you're comfortable. Make sure that your feet are flat on the floor. I encourage you, if you can, to put your hands on something because this is like a grounding exercise. You want to be touching something with as much as your body. If you're sitting in a chair like I am, feel the chair on the backs of your legs. Feel your feet in your shoes on the floor. Feel whatever is below your hands. If your hands are on your thighs, feel your thighs, right? And just take a second, and I want everybody, I hold so much tension in my neck. Take a second and just sort of wiggle it a little bit so that you can feel all the kinks and everything there. We're not going to worry about that right now, but we're going to take three slow breaths. You ready? Inhale. As far as you can, right? And then slowly push it out through your mouth. 
and keep pushing until it's all the way out. And as soon as you're at the end, take another inhale. You can do it in your own speed. You know what we're doing, breathing in and breathing out. So if you haven't already, second inhale. And really push, 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 push till there's no air. And then take the last big inhale. And, and when you're done with that, push that all out. And it's amazing that, I don't know for you, but I already feel a small shift. And it's enough of a shift that it's like, oh, right, that's available. The truth is that you can keep doing that. That I know people that it's hard for them to concentrate on the three breaths, so they do a thing on their hand where they, you know, inhale and exhale. They, when they touch one hand to their thumb, they inhale and exhale and go to the finger and to the next finger and to the next finger and touch them so that it helps them to remember. Other people, they need to have something that they say when they're breathing in and breathing out, like a mantra kind of thing that they say. All of that's acceptable, whatever it helps you to do. I have other friends that do, first they do the five things on their hand, right? And then they do, uh, they do five more breaths and each breath they think of something they're grateful for, right? So it's a total of 10 breaths. But the truth is that that three breaths sets you up for a different day. If you do nothing else, do the three breaths. And I got into the habit when I saw so many of my friends who had kids on the spectrum and you know, once we got into the treadmill of the therapies and all the things, there's a lot of driving that you got to do. And I saw so many of my friends that were parents get into car accidents because they were emotional. I got a ticket one day because my child had gotten out of his car seat and was throwing his shoes at me. And I pulled over and pulled off and I got a ticket. And when the policeman came to the car, I just woo melted down. And, and he, was, he was not nice, and he was like, lady, you need to get it together, right? Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, but I, I was, and he said, you're going to get into an accident with your child. And so after that, somebody had said to me, just do the three breaths every time. Put him in his five-point five harness in the, the back seat, and then do the three breaths before you drive out the driveway. And I found that it helped me with the driving and it helped me with the feelings and it helped with everything. It's always available. And if you can do it with your child, whoo, so much better. Somebody wrote into me last week and said, how old can a child be to begin meditating? And I said, well, you can begin to work on breath with a, with a toddler. That, you know, if, if you're having a bad day and your child is having a bad day, ha- have them pick their favorite stuffed animal and have them pick a stuffed animal for you, put the stuffed animal, they call it breathing buddies, put the stuffed animal, one on your belly, one on their belly, lay down on the floor next to your child. You can hold hands with them if you want to, but then show them how we're going to make the, your, your, you're going to breathe in and make the the stuffed animal go up because your belly goes up, right? And then we're going to breathe out and we're going to make the stuffed animal go down. And you can do that with your child, and guess what? That helps help them center. So model that behavior, breathe. And if nothing else, do the three breaths. Now, you know, if you want to do more, do more, do more. Um, absolutely, there's no wrong, it's not costing you money, it's good for you, it's, it's all good, right? 
And I know people who say that if you can get to the point where you can breathe and do, you know, conscious breathing for 20 minutes, the, the effects on your health are huge, but that if you can get to an hour, it multiplies by a gazillion and eight. I still am on the path towards trying to get to the point where I can do an hour. Uh, it's, there's not a finish line. I'm going to get there eventually, but can I be honest? I'm not there, um, but I'm going to get there. Okay, so that's one thing that you can do. The other thing that you can do when feeling overwhelmed is to just pick one thing and say, I'm not going to be able to do everything under the sun today, but what's the one thing? And, you know, be kind to yourself. Some people are like, what's the one thing I've been putting off that I absolutely have to do because it's kicking my can and I'd like it to be off my list? Or what's the one thing that could make a difference today? If, If you can't, if you're so overwhelmed that you can't pick a thing, then I'm going to ask you to pick the thing where you call one person and say, is there any time this week that you could come over and be with my child so that I could sleep? I'm sleep deprived and it's a problem and I need to get some sleep. And yes, I'm well aware of the fact that you may call that person and they may say, I'm not available this week, but I'm, t- I'm going to tell you a secret. You're going to feel better for having made the phone call. There is something about stepping into the action of I'm, I'm not just going to be a victim here. I'm going to work the problem in just this one way. If we get so busy going, I'm going to work all of the problems, ooh, we can spin out, right? I'm just going to work this one problem. I'm going to pick one thing. And it might be something completely different for you, but if you can't come up with something, prioritize the rest. Uh, another thing that really helps is being able to tell someone that you trust. I call it telling on yourself and saying, I'm overwhelmed. Needs to be somebody you trust, right? Not somebody who's going to go off the deep end and thinks that you're going to light your hair on fire, right? It could be another autism parent. It could be a friend. It could be your therapist. It could be your doctor, Be wary, though, because if you tell a doctor, they're going to write you a prescription for something that numbs you out. Now, you might need that, but for a lot of us, it's like that's not going to help. It's still the the stuff that I was overwhelmed about still there, but now I just, I'm not doing anything, right? Um, But I think the act of telling someone, there's no expectation that they're going to fix it for you, but the act of telling someone, I'm overwhelmed, you can tell me. You can send me an email and say, Shannon, I'm overwhelmed. And you know what I'm going to say to you? Bless your heart. Of course you are. Of course you are. How could it be any other way? But you're doing a good job. You are. You're doing a good job. Uh, And there it is on the list. Rest. uh, Practice compassion. Now, who am I talking about practicing compassion towards? First and foremost, yourself. Because you know what they say, you can't give away what you don't have. And if you are not practicing compassion towards yourself, how can you be compassionate towards your child? How can you be compassionate towards anyone else? By the way, I, what you can tell whenever I'm talking about a difficult subject, I always put the cute pet vid, uh, pictures because I, I, I want us to be able to talk about this, but I want something to help mitigate the stress of talking about it. That's why the cute doggy pictures. Um, but we practice compassion towards ourselves. So I... I always say, what if a 16-year-old came to you and said, I'm feeling overwhelmed? What would you say to them? Would you be kind? Would you say to them, 
You're an amazing person dealing with some pretty amazing things. Overwhelmed is normal. You're doing a good job. Would you be kind to them, to a 16-year-old? Or would you tell them to stuff their feelings? Would you tell them to get over it? I have this sense that you would not do that. So why is it hard for us to do that for ourselves? I don't know, but it is. It's hard for all of us. But so I always say, put the 16-year-old test to it and, and watch what you're saying to yourself. Because if the way that you talk to yourself is, I'm not up to this, I can't do this, this is hard, I'm not going to be able to, to do it, there's too many things to do, then that just cycles more of the overwhelmed. It's not what you would whisper into the ear of the 16-year-old who's feeling overwhelmed. If you were watching somebody be overwhelmed, you would, you would be cheering them on and you would say, take a breath, you're okay. And you can talk to yourself that way. You can. And try it. It makes a difference. Uh, And of course, prioritize rest and breaks. And it doesn't have to be absent from your child. We can practice rest breaks with our child. It may not look how you want it to look, right? But we can practice those things. Uh, Michelle, please send me the copy of your story. Uh, I I really want you to send that to me. I'm looking forward to that. And I hope you have an amazing week too. Um, Jill says, I'm new. My identical twins, late diagnosis in 20s. IEP showed signs, but no diagnosis till 2017. My youngest, 30, was killed by blood thinners. Surviving twin, uh, both lived with me all their lives. Um, and now this it looks like the surviving twin has had suicidal ideation. It looks like no employment, zero support. Uh, we have not been seen or heard. Jill, uh, because of the late diagnosis, Jill, I'm telling you that I see you, I hear you. And there are many of us that see and hear you. I actually have a new resource, Jill, that may be of use to you. I don't know. Um, But there is a doctor that we're about to bring on the show soon who specializes in late diagnosis. And what she does is she doesn't just diagnose, but then she helps to figure out what do you do with that late diagnosis. Um, So if that is something that's of interest to you, I have no idea whether... I know that she does telehealth, but I have no idea whether your insurance would uh, cover her. But can I ask you, um, if you if you feel comfortable, reach out to me and I can connect you to her so that at least you can have a conversation. And I see that you say you've been crying for years, feel very alone with zero support as a single parent and trying to save my surviving son's life. Well, Jill, you are amazing. Um, and I see you say he needs an income and, and we have become invisible. You know what my friend Joanne Laura always used to say, everybody deserves a seat at the table and that starts with employment. But let's see if we can, can't get you some help. Please, if you wouldn't mind, because I have no way of connecting with you this way, but if you will write to me, Shannon at autism-live.com, I would love to refer you to that doctor. You can at least have a conversation with her to see if she is somebody that can help you to help your son. And again, she specializes in late diagnosis and then an action plan for people who have a late diagnosis. 
um, I would be thrilled to be able to hook you up there. Anna says, I've caught myself upset because I felt that I have, uh, that I have given him and fought for so much, but no one sees what I see. And Anna, that's part of this journey is that there, and I think it's why so many of us feel so alone is that you're seeing, you have a front row view of what's happening with your child and other people think that they're seeing it, but you know differently. I always say, nobody knows, nobody knows because nobody's there at three o'clock in the morning. But I will tell you, even though I don't know because I'm not there with you at three o'clock in the morning, no one knows. But there are a group of people in your tribe who understands what that feels like when nobody knows. And we can be compassionate and be your sisters and brothers on this journey and tell you that you're amazing and that what you see in your child is valid and no one can take that away from you. And that you're fighting the good fight and that some days it feels like it's a treadmill to nowhere. But again, you're making the Grand Canyon. You are making strides. I guarantee you that. Um, and, and Max says, I completely understand how you feel, Anna. Um, you, we, we're seeing you guys. You are seen. You are heard. Um, so, oh, uh, Jill, I love that you're in Riverside County because then you're close to this doctor. Um, I love that you're here. Oh, and I love, Jill, that you breathe and tap. Tapping isn't even on my list of things, um, but it's definitely something that we could add to the things that people say helping. If you guys don't know about, um, okay, I'm not going to remember, but it's, is it EMT? That's the name of it. But if you just look up tapping, you can find videos online that will help you to learn its emotional memory tapping. I don't know what the M stands for. Um, But tapping is very effective. And I've done tapping and it really, really helped me. But here are some other things that people say help. Talking to a professional. Now, why a professional? Because I already said talking to friends and talking to your tribe. But there is something about talking to a professional. And when I say professional, it could be a therapist. It could be a psychologist, a psychiatrist. It could be a clergy person. But there are people that are duty-bound that because they're professionals that if you talk to them, unless you're talking about hurting yourself or someone else, it has to stay with them. They're not allowed to talk about it with other people. And what I call that is a safe dumping ground. Sometimes you just need to have a safe place where you can go, this is a poop sandwich, you know, and not be judged and not feel like, oh, well, now I've made that person worry about me or feel bad or now they feel like they have to, you know, there's something so freeing about being able to say it to somebody who doesn't have to fix it and who doesn't get to judge you and doesn't get to go talk about it with other people. Um, A lot of people say that that is very helpful, but also talking with peers and friends, very helpful. Laughing, I think, is one of the best medicines in the world, and sometimes you have to cry before you can get to the laugh, but my husband and I, in in the darkest of our days, when we would finally get my son to go to sleep, which would take hours, we would watch old, we had an old VHS tape that was like the best of Conan and the best of Triumph the Insult Dog. And we would watch that and laugh until we were sick. And I mean, like above and beyond, because it was such a release. 
It was such an amazing, amazing release. And of course, it took me years before I knew that Robert, Robert Smigel, who is the voice of Triumph the Insult Dog, guess what? He's a member of our tribe. Two kids, two kids on the spectrum. Um, fighting the good fight, right? Amazing to me to realize uh, that we had that connection, but he's somebody who helped me pull it through because it was so ridiculous. A puppet dog that says, you know, for me to poop on is every punchline. And I would just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. Thank God for laughter. Don't be afraid. You know, now they have all these comedy channels on the radio and on Sirius XM and on your TV. Don't be afraid to tune in and laugh. It's good. Writing, I told you, you know, I would write out my anger. It was therapy. And it was a safe place where I could say, you bleepity bleep 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 coven of witches. Uh, How dare you bleepity bleep 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 think that you're going to take something away from my son over my dead bleepity bleep bleep body, right? And I would swear so much on the paper that I would find, then I would read it back and I would laugh because it would be redonkulous. But it would help me to get to what was really going on, to get what the fear was, and they didn't have to see it. Um, we didn't, I didn't have to burden them with that as much as I disliked them. Uh, taking time off is another thing that has helped people, whether it's time off from work or time off from classwork or time off from whatever it is you need to take time out from. Maybe it's your friend who, you know, you were their confidant before you had a child on the spectrum and now they still expect for you to solve all their problems. You just take a break from them, go time out, you know, and and it could be today we're just not going anywhere. Today we're going to, you know, close the blinds and we're going to watch Disney videos and my kid and I are going to sit on the floor and eat cereal on the floor. You just take a little break. You just can't take that break forever, right? But sometimes taking a little break is great. Believing in something bigger. Somebody wrote in about their feelings about God and how God has helped them. And I think that for a lot of people, having a faith in something bigger than them, and it doesn't, you know, if God is not your thing, you can have faith in a group. That the, that the group of other parents that you're in, uh, you can have faith in that. But believing in something bigger than this moment and this thing that's going on with you. I said early on to my husband, I said, okay, if this is where we're, this is the lot that we have been dealt, this is what has happened to our child and to our family, it's got to count for something bigger than us. And and so I was like, I need to learn as much as I can because I want to, the deal that I made on my uh, bedroom floor with the God of my understanding was please help me to know what to do. Please show me what to do, and I promise you, you, if you help me help my child, I will in turn help someone else. I try to live that every day because I believed in something bigger than, than it was just we were having this experience and it had no meaning to anyone. Uh, how about editing? Sometimes you just have to say, I'm just not going to be able to do all the things that I could before for a while. Uh, I know somebody that might be watching that I dearly love that's a brilliant photographer and, and had like all these things that they were doing and, and coaching uh, a softball team and a brilliant photographer and they said, I'm just not going to be able to do that for a while. And I think it hurt them that they gave it up, but it was a choice. I used to uh, teach theater and direct theater and I, after my son was diagnosed, I tried to direct one thing and I was like, I really don't 
have the time to devote to this. Um, so I'm going to let that go. I'm going to edit for right now. You can go back to it. I did go back to it to some degree, um, you know, and started directing things at my son's school. So, you know, but for a while you need to say, you need to go, okay, what needs to get done and what could be backburners and have your feelings about it, but edit. And sometimes it's editing friends and people who are a time suck and the motion suck. You know, the suck you buy in your life. And sometimes you got to edit them out. Um, uh, I'm just looking at... Um, I, I, and Max, there are many people here that uh, you were say, you're saying, I need a friend with this experience, uh, me and my wife. And there are many people here, including myself, that we have been through this. And, and we have a wealth of knowledge to share, and we're here for you. I'm here for you. If you want to chat, email me. Um, okay. Um, and Jill, I see that you're going to email me. Great. Um, and I thank you. I do see you, and I hear you. Hello, Dozer. Uh, okay. So how about this last one, having boundaries, that people expected a certain amount of stuff from you before your child was diagnosed with autism, and now you're going to say to them, I'm not able to do that. And they're going to have feelings about that. And let me just tell you something. They don't get it. They don't get it. Bless their hearts. They don't. You didn't get it before your child was diagnosed with autism. And now you do. They were you before your child was diagnosed. They don't get it. So you can have your feelings about that, whatever your feelings are, but understand that it's not personal. They don't get it. It doesn't mean you don't get to have boundaries. You need to start exercising boundaries for yourself because you cannot do everything and be all people because you have now taken on something extra. You've t- and the reason why you're overwhelmed is because you still have your whole old life and you have this other life now that there's a lot, right? And you can't fit all of it in the same backpack. So you're going to edit some of it and then you're going to have boundaries because people are going to ask you to put it back in your backpack. And you have to get, oh, I know, even as I say it, I'm like, oh, this is a hard one. You have to practice saying no. If you need to, my, I have a wonderful niece who taught me many years ago. She was like, you have no boundaries. You don't know how to say no to people. And I was like, no. How can you possibly say no to people, especially when they're asking for help and they need you, right? Um, and she said, you I say that what she taught me how to say was, I'm sorry, but that won't be possible. And she says, don't apologize for it. She says, why do you have to put the word sorry in it? You just have to say, that won't be possible. So when somebody's asking you to take on the PTA this year and you say, that won't be possible. It feels weird, right? It's a thing you got to practice. I practice all the time with my husband. I say, somebody's going to ask me to do something and I have to be able to say no, so practice it with me. And, and, we, and we role play it out. We rehearse. And so then when it happens, it's, a, it's easier. It's why we practice fire drills. So don't be afraid to practice having boundaries. It's super duper important. It's part of what's going to help you to get out of the overwhelm. But there's also all of these other things that might help. I know so many people who start to take up art. It could be doodling. It could be painting. Um, I didn't put gardening on here, but that's absolutely one. A lot of people find that exercise. I was just, we went, my son and I went to a restaurant on Friday, 
And um, the guy that it's his restaurant, uh, he's an Ironman triathlete. And we were having a conversation with him. He made amazing healthy food. It was all vegan, so fun, gluten-free, fabulousness. Um, And he said, you know, people uh, ask me all the time if I want to invest in this thing, invest in it. He said, the only things I invest in right now are me and my body and my children and their education. Those are the only things I am investing in in this point in my life. And he said, in the morning, because I said, how do you find the time to be a triathlete? He said, that is me time. I go and I exercise, and for me, I need more exercise than the average person. Some people can go for a walk for 10 minutes, and they feel the relief and everything you know, fits in their life. He said, I got to go and run for four hours, and then I feel like me, and it's, it's meditation. I have to breathe when I'm running, and I was like, oh, look at that. That's great, and for some people, this is a big key is exercise. There are others of us who resist this like the plague, but I did discover during COVID that, man, if I will just walk for 10 to 15 minutes a day, that my ability to cope goes up exponentially. Do you think that I can make myself do it? It's hard. Uh, Charity, giving to other people, um, So, but having the boundaries, don't give away what you don't have time to, but doing something else for somebody else often can get us a little bit out of the treadmill of overwhelmed. Uh, I remember when my son was overwhelmed and I didn't have time to, to participate in a charity or anything, but I went to volunteer at his preschool and there was nothing for me to do and they kind of wanted me to stay out and there was a dish, like, you know, a sink full of dishes. And I hate doing dishes. I, I would rather do anything but do dishes, my own right? But I said, let me do the dishes. And so I stood there and I washed all of the dishes. Uh, and there was a lot, can I just tell you? And at one point, uh, one of the teachers came over and said, oh my gosh, that is so helpful. That is so amazing. And I said, you know what? It's, it's like so great for me. It's meditative. I'm taking a minute. There's like, all I have to do is wash these dishes and they're your dishes. And I know that I'm helping you. And it made me feel better. So sometimes it can be a very small thing, or you can participate in a charity, but make sure you have boundaries. Don't give away time and energy and money that you don't have. Some people find that overwhelmed is when they organize and clean. I am not one of those people, but there are some people that that's what helps to center them. If that's you, do it. Uh, Other people like to listen to music or sing or be in water. Um, that means swimming or taking a bath or taking a shower, that that some, there's something, this is our kids too, there's something about water that has a calming effect uh, and making a grateful list. That all of those things, is that my last one? It is. So all of those things are potential, but think about all the things that we didn't talk about. There's a million and eight um, things that we didn't talk about. I'm getting a bunch of texts. So, um, Max, uh, I see that you're going to send me an email on, on, on what kind of boundaries we can set. It's, it's an important step in this. And Sarwar says, this is therapeutic. Thank you for doing this. So again, just to recap, we are going to accept that feeling overwhelmed is a part of our life. It, that doesn't mean that we have to accept it and go, we're doing nothing about it. But there are going to be times when you are going to feel overwhelmed. One of the first things that you're going to do is just do a spot check with yourself and say, 
Am I hungry, angry, lonely, tired? Let me address that. Whatever those things are, because it's adding to the overwhelmed, right? If, if, if we've addressed those four things and we're good there, then I hopefully have given you a bag of tools that you can pick from. And, and what I want to encourage you to do is start to find what are the quick fixes for you. You know, to be honest for me, if I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed, boy, I would do those three breaths and I could get right back on track. If I was feeling a lot overwhelmed and it had a lot of anger in it, boy, the writing is the thing that helped me. Um, I don't go to exercise unless I am completely like I got nothing else to do and I have to go walk it off. Boy, that's rare for me. I have to be super overwhelmed. A lot of times if I'm overwhelmed, um, it's like I'm going to go take a hot shower. I'm, I'm going to do that for myself, you know? Um, so find the, and, and always, always, always I call friends and say, here's what's going on. And tell on myself and say, I'm struggling today. It's just hard. And try to express that. But I, though, that's my set of things, and it's not your set of things. Now, too, I've discovered a new hobby because I'm far enough along in this that I can. Um, but I'm doing pottery now, and boy, you want to talk about it's literally centering. i got to center a piece of clay, which helps me to be centered. Um, I, I didn't have the time for that when we were early into intervention. But what I did do when we were in early intervention, which I'm so grateful for, uh, I scrapbooked. At home, I scrapbooked and I would, you know, put the order in when I was ordering things for my son's therapy, pictures of, you know, I got to have a picture of his shoes and whatever. I would take pictures uh, because I wasn't feeling our life sometimes. It felt like it was all just, you know, this machine that was moving and I felt like Dark Angel. I felt like I was the dead woman, right? But so I archived it. I would take a piece of paper. It's not brilliant. I, you know, I can show you some of the scrapbooks. They're not brilliant, but it, I have pictures to show that we were there, that we survived, what we did, and what it was like. And, and, and it's amazing to me to look back at it to see that it wasn't all bad. It felt hard, a lot of it, but a lot of it, there was joy and there was happiness. Um, so that was the hobby that I took up. And I, and I could do it when I wanted to do it. And occasionally I would go with a group of other moms. There was a Friday night thing where you would go and it would start at 9 o'clock. So the kids were all in bed already and they stayed until 4 in the morning. And boy, that was so much fun. So much fun to go to those. Um, and every once in a while I could do that, you know. Uh, but you got to find your basket of tools that works for you and, and, and start to use them. Don't just, you know, it's funny because it's like first you've got to accept that the overwhelm is going to be there and then you have to get into the action of, okay, how am I managing it? And remember, managing it is the word because I don't see it going away, um, but you can manage it. Sarwar says, maybe a topic for another day. Uh, Sun 3 started pre-K two-year program with district early intervention and after school goes to card ABA, but I see some regression. Is this normal? Uh, yeah, we can do a whole show about regression. Regression is a very funny thing that um, for those of us who have kids that regressed into autism, because that's not everybody's story, right? But for those of us whose kids regressed into autism, 
it can feel like a car accident in slow motion when your child loses a skill. Um, and it's very important to be cognizant and aware of what's happening and why it's happening. Regression is a part of everyone's learning path. That, you know, let's take the pottery example that I started doing pottery and I learned a technique and I was like, I got that technique. And then, I, you know, I took a week off and I came back and I couldn't do it. I lost it. And then I had to work back to it, right? And our kids will experience a certain amount of that. But if we're mindful and minding the store, first of all, you want to have consistency so we minimize it, so we don't take a week off, right? But even then, you can have some regression, and it's important to be looking at why and changing things up so that it's fun for them. Sometimes regression happens when they get bored. Don't let them get bored. Sometimes regression happens when they're not getting enough often enough. And I see this a lot, that a lot of people are doing 15 hours a week. Don't get me started. Um, and, you know, look, it's not a one-size-fits-all, um, but um, we know that if your child is not yet in school, that really the research is very clear that really what we want you to have is 40 hours a week. Now, if we can only do 30, we're still in the window of what has been shown to be the most effective. But if you get below 25 a week, you are not in the window of what is most effective for kids at that age. Now, when your child is seven, it's a different equation. But if you have a lot of you are writing in and you have the younger kids, if your kid is, you know, not yet in school, you really want to be looking at the 40 hours of good quality ABA model. Because sometimes when we're doing those 15 hours, we're doing just enough to where the kid is frustrated, but they're not getting it. Imagine if you decided, I really want to become a really good skier, but you, know, you didn't have enough time with the instructor to get good at it. You would get to the point where you were frustrated, and then you wouldn't want to do it anymore. Whereas if you had immersive, intensive with a really good instructor who made it fun, and you got to the point where, okay, I'm gaining this skill, now I want to learn the next skill, and you want to do it more, and you see that, that growth, right? Um, oh, and somebody else says, do sensory toys help? We should do a whole show on that as well. Yes, sensory toys can help depending, I mean, it's a big question, right, Max? But sensory toys can help. All of our, all of us, but including our kids, have a sensory threshold where we need a certain amount of sensory and, and then there's an amount that we can be in where it's a groove and then there's an amount where it's too much. And within that, there are types of sensory input that we might need more or less of. I am someone whose sensory can't handle it if somebody is talking behind me. I don't know why my ears are big enough but the, and they stick out far enough. But if you are talking behind me, that is louder for me on my sensory scale than if you're standing in front of me. And if somebody's trying to talk to me in front of me and somebody's talking behind me, I lose my mind. We're all different, right? But I think about that and think about for, for a kiddo that maybe the fluorescent lights are a huge input for them and it's too much, right? We would want to mitigate that and make it less for them. And we see kids and adults that you put a baseball hat on them in a fluorescent light room and they can cope. 
They can cope with all kinds of things. They can see what's in front of them because they aren't having to mitigate that, 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 that you know, because I can't see the flutter, but they can, right? Um, but then there are other kids that they need more sensory input that if they don't, have you ever had that feeling where you're like sitting someplace and you're so tired and you doze off for a second and you come back to, and it's like, where am I? What, what can I hold on to? Because you didn't exist for a minute because you were between asleep and awake. And I've heard adults on this spectrum talk about, I feel like I'm going to float away, that I need a certain level of input or I feel like I'm not in my body. And for those people giving them a fidget toy or, you know, we see the executives that sit at their desk and do this because it helps them to be creative. So, you know, it, we talk about sensory diet and giving people on the spectrum is very personal. And I can't just say to you, carte blanche, oh, yes, sensory toys would be great for your child because there are different sensory toys. And, and it really is a trial and error thing. And your child will express to you. If you see, you know, that you give your child a spinny toy and they become quiet and centered, then you know that there's a certain amount of that input that's very pleasurable to them. You're going to have to manage that so that they don't want to only do that the rest of their time, right? But, but why not give them some of that unplugged time where it's like, whoo, I get to look at that and I get to take that mental vacation, you know? Um, it's very, very, very personal. But yes, sensory toys can help. It's just knowing what dial to put it and what, what sense they need more of and what sense they need less of. So it's trial and error, but you will see it. Uh, Joe says, do you have experience with a child starting a new behavior like trying to make themselves throw up? This is something that started last week and not sure how to help. And Joe, I'm sending you a hug. Yes. Um, there are kiddos that will show this behavior and it's really one of those things. Anytime where we get into stuff like that, I really want you to be talking to an expert about that. Um, and normally I would say to you, well, tomorrow we have Dr. Grampy Shea on the show and we would ask her that live, but we don't have her live tomorrow. We've already recorded tomorrow's show, but we, I would tell you if you don't get an answer before them, because you don't have an expert in your life, please come back to us a week from Tuesday with this question. But I also don't want to panic you too. Yes, we've seen many parents have this kind of thing going on. And, and there are four usual suspects for behaviors, right? That kids do, but there's a, there's a fifth and I don't know what age you're, so let's talk about all five really quickly that we do things for attention. We just do. And we do things sometimes for attention, but sometimes, and we want positive attention, but if we can't get positive attention, we'll do it for negative attention. So you want to ask yourself, does your child do this only when you're in the room or do they sometimes do it when you're not in the room? It may not give you the definitive answer, but it might help you to talk to an expert about this, about where are they doing it? Are other people around? Are they, like if they're doing it and you, like if you were to, I don't want you to leave the room, but if you were to leave the room, would they stop? Then if that were true, and I don't want you to leave the room when they're engaged in this behavior, but if that were true, we would know they're doing it to get your attention and the intervention around it would be to not leave the room but to give it absolutely no intent, no attention whatsoever that, you know, if they're gagging and you go, oh, you know, pass me the peas, you're still there. You're still there in case anything happens, but you're just not 
going, what's going on? What are you doing right now? Think about how much attention that is in the moment. Another reason that people do something is to escape from something. And if you're trying to feed me peas and I gag and you go, all right, we're not going to eat the peas now, I win, right? But the intervention for that would only be with a feeding specialist. We wouldn't attempt to do anything without a feeding specialist because the potential to further mess up the dynamic there is great, right? Um, Third reason that people do something is because there's something internal. Like he may feel like he's got something stuck in there. I don't know if you've ever had that thing where sometimes it's emotional or allergies or a sore throat or whatever, or maybe he ate something and, you know, it's scratched on the way down. And so now he feels, or maybe you just have a tickle in your throat. And so maybe he feels, you know, so he might be gagging because of that. And if you feel like it's that, I would take him to the doctor and make sure that there's nothing going on, right? Um, And then the fourth one, which probably doesn't apply to this one, but could, is uh, gaining access to someone or something. So if, you know, we're at the dinner table and what I really want is my iPad and I start gagging and and getting really upset and what you do is like you want to calm me down so you give me my iPad, then it worked for me, right? But the last one, which is very uncommon among children, but at a certain point kids get this and if you have teenagers, it's very much the thing and that's control. That I do something because it's what gets me the control. And if you think about it, you know, if I gag and look like I'm going to start to throw up, uh, then um, I get the control. Well, now you've written it and said she does it when, when I'm not in the room, room at night in bed. So I, my question to you is how do you know because do you have her on a monitor and you hear that and then what do you do? If every time she starts to gag, you you come in, then it absolutely could be to gain access to someone or something. If I'm alone in my bed and I don't want to be alone in my bed and I've asked to get up out of bed and you won't let me get out of bed, but if I start gagging, you come in and I have your undivided attention, then I got access to you and I got attention. Um, and I see you say, I hear her and clean up her sheets. So here's what I would I really want to suggest. Joe, are you working with someone with a team? Do you have an ABA team? Do you have somebody who's helping you with a course of treatment for your child? Do you already have that? Because if you do, I'm going to tell you that you need to get on the horn with them today and say this is happening and I'm concerned about it. No ABA yet. Okay. Then, then, because the other thing I would tell you in addition to that is I think you need to call the pediatrician. Because let's not assume... Um, that it's not medical. Let's, like, and it might be, I see you're still on the waiting list for ABA. Um, it might be that, uh, like I said, I, you know, I, I certainly have had this happen before where I have allergies and stuff and I go through p- certain periods of time where I feel like something is in my throat. Um, so it's worthwhile to go to the pediatrician and just have them take a look and see that everything's going okay. Um, and mention it to them. And it sounds like she's spitting something out when she does it, that it's not dry, um, so that there's a reason to clean up her sheets. Is she actually getting to the point where she vomits? And, and I noticed that you said that she's making herself do that. Are you sure that it's not that she's, like, because a lot of our kids have acid reflux, and, and that presents 
often as attempting to make ourselves throw up because it's what they're trying to do because it feels like something is burning in their throat. I'm, I'm saying, okay, so she does vomit. I think it's a, a trip to the pediatrician. I definitely do. Uh, oh, she's putting her fingers in the mouth. Um, but that might be because of acid reflux. Go to the pediatrician um, and figure it out. Then the other thing I want you to do is to reach out to your insurance company and say, I am, this is where sometimes things that we would normally go, okay, this is not good. We, you know, we would say it's bad, and, but it becomes an opportunity. I would call your insurance company today and say, I'm on the waiting list and I've been on the waiting list for exactly however long you've been on the waiting list. And um, I need to, uh, I need it to be expedited because this is a behavior that my child is engaging in, which is now a, a grave concern. And I need um, to start services sooner. So if you don't have services for me with this provider, you need to get me a single case agreement or whatever it is, you can use the phrase with your insurance company and say, it, this is ending up being a denial of access to services, so I, I need to basically start next week. And they pretty much need to help you find an ABA provider that can do that. Um, because you have a reasonable, you've waited, I don't know whether you've waited a week or a year, um, but in all that time, they weren't paying the claims on it, and they don't get to do that. So uh, call them up, make it their problem. But definitely give a call to the pediatrician and see because she might be sticking in her fingers in her throat because it feels like something's stuck. Let's rule that out. Let's, let's be as compassionate as we possibly can for this young life and make sure, oh, I see you've waited for almost a year. Yeah, that just makes me want to throw and stomp things. Call that insurance company today, say, this is not acceptable. Um, uh, this is denial of access to care. Um, and I need to talk to someone today because this has to be expedited. And then, you know, email me. Let's, let's be in cahoots on this and let me know what happens uh, about all this. But I'm sending you a hug and um, telling you that you're doing a good job. And I'm sure that's scary. I, that would be, I think any of us would have trepidation and feel a little bit overwhelmed. And, and I, it's not something to let go. Because those kinds of behaviors, it can start out as being one thing. It might be that you know she's feeling that acid and she wants to make it better, and the only way it can feel better is if she thinks that she throws it up, right? But then it can turn into other things. It can turn into, I like this feeling. It can turn in, I like all the attention. So don't let it go. Um, get, get her in as soon as you possibly can. I would, I would leave now and go call the pediatrician. Speaking of which, we've gone, we started late, but we went much later than we had intended because I do enjoy this so much, having this time to be with you guys. You guys, I, I, I'm so impressed by all of you and the, the energy that you bring to helping your children. I, I know that it is not easy. I, I remember it all too well, but I offer up to you the better days are ahead, that you're doing all the things that you can, and, and let that be enough. Trust the process that you are on the job and that you're going to keep checking in, you're going to keep course correcting, and that you are going to arrive someplace 
that's going to be good for you and good for your child. That is what happened for me and for so many others. My life is so rich and I, you know, I, I look back at all of it and it feels like somebody else's life. Uh, and I remember that really well and feeling a little disconnected to it. Like, how is this happening in my life? Keep walking the path, accept your feelings, lean into the other people who are on this path with you, myself included, ask when you need help, write into us with questions that you have. I do want you to know that we are, we're pre-recorded tomorrow, but I hope that you will tune in to watch Ask Dr. Doreen tomorrow. And, and then we're back live on Wednesday with guests that I cannot remember. And Thursday, it's Let's Talk Movies with Moira Giamatteo from Taka, and we have a ginormous, ginormous announcement uh, on, on that, uh, that it, we, I'm just gonna say this, the Taka uh, conference is coming up, the fall conference, and we have some scholarships for people to attend both in person and virtually. And I can't tell you more than that, you have to turn, tune in to Let's Talk Movies on Thursday with Moira and we're going to tell you guys how you can enter to get those free scholarships for the Taka conference which is so like oh the best right um so definitely tune in to that on Thursday and I also want to say that on Thursday I'm going to talk about Pinocchio and I'm going to cry because I saw the new uh, aut- the I, I want to say autism. I saw the new Pinocchio, and I feel that it has everything to do with being a parent of a child on the spectrum. It spoke to me on so many levels and touched my heart and touched bruises that I had. And I, I want other people to watch it too to tell me if I'm absolutely crazy. And one last thing before we go, I forgot to tell you guys very important news that we've been talking about here on the show that for those of you who took Tylenol while you were pregnant, we have covered on the show many times that uh, there's a new study that came out that was done by the National Institute of Health. It was conducted at the John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. And it showed that for babies whose mothers took Tylenol while they were in utero, that they had a significantly higher prevalence of being diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Now, research is ongoing about this, uh, but it's such a big deal that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration is urging careful consideration before using any pain-relieving products during pregnancy now. So that's very important, and I want you guys to share that with the people that you love in your life. But for those of you who already did, because we did in good faith, this is not about blame and fault and all of those things. We, you know, we were told by our doctors that if you had pain while you were pregnant, that Tylenol uh, was a safe thing because acetaminophen was fine. So you might have taken Tylenol, you might have taken Excedrin. It's what we did. And so that might bring up feelings of overwhelmed now, like, well, so, you know, what did I do? What has happened? This is not about any of that. We all acted in good faith because we thought that it was fine. Our doctors told us that it was fine. But I want to tell you a very important message that you, it may be that you are owed financial compensation. That's a very big deal. I do want to say very clearly that research is ongoing, but they are 
asking for people to step forward right now who did take Tylenol where they were pregnant. I'm going to give you some information here with a phone number to call. I also want you to know that it, I'm asking you to call Shapiro Legal Group. There are a lot of groups out there that are asking for people to be a part of this. I cannot speak for any of those groups. I can tell you that I personally have met with and spoken with the people at Shapiro Legal Group, so I know what they're doing, and I trust them. I cannot speak to anyone else, uh, but I am telling you that I trust them. They are going to ask you some very personal questions because this is about preparing for a class action lawsuit. So they are going to ask you things, and it's going to, you know, I, I will tell you that people have feelings when these questions are brought up. But it's important that you participate if you are someone who took anything that contained acetaminophen while you were pregnant. Again, that could be Tylenol, that could be Excedrin, it could be so many other products that are out there. If you know anything about class action lawsuits, that there is a period of time in which they are in the fact-finding mission. And, you know, so if you're not sure, I'm going to urge you to call. The number is 888-657-0455. Again, it is the Shapiro Legal Group that you will be calling, and I personally have vetted them. When do you ever hear me say that, right? Um, but they are in the phase right now where they are evaluating the potential legal claims by parents of children that have been subsequently diagnosed with autism. There are some rigorous things that you may not qualify for the study, but can you do yourself a favor and please just call and, and know that they, a couple of people have reached out to me and said, Shannon, they are asking some personal questions because this is a legal matter, you guys. And they need to ask questions to see if you meet the rigorous guidelines of this first test. And you may not. But you will know that you have done something and you'll know, okay, I either qualify for this or I don't. And don't feel bad about it if you don't, but it will take a few minutes of your time. It's so worth it, you guys. And down the road, it may be that people get financial compensation. So I do have to tell you that there are time deadlines for this. So it's not a thing to put off. So please call 888 657 uh, you will be calling the Shapiro Legal Group. As I said, I've met with them, talked with them, or I wouldn't be talking about it here. Um, and I trust them. And that says a lot. Uh, you can also visit their website. Uh, they have a form there that you can fill out if you don't want to talk to somebody. That's shapirolegalgroup.com forward slash autism. I do need to tell you that Shapiro Legal Group PLLC associates with attorneys throughout the country to help people nationwide is licensed in New York and Washington, D.C. and has its principal office at 60 East 42nd uh, Street, New York, New York, and that this ad was read by a non-attorney spokesperson. I am a non-attorney spokesperson, um, but you guys know that I wouldn't be talking about it if I didn't look into this. So there we go. Um, I do think it's worthwhile to call them or I wouldn't be talking about it with you. We are going to be back live on Wednesday, but we're back tomorrow with Ask Dr. Doreen. And I encourage you to watch that because she is a wonder. You guys, you're doing a good job. This is not easy. There's nothing about this that's easy. But I will tell you that there are so many people that you're going to meet on this journey 
who will love your child, who will love you, who will accept your child, who will love and accept your entire family, and that there is a world of people out there who want the best for your child. You're going to have to course correct along the way, and, and there are going to be people who disappoint you, and there are going to be things that you try or don't try, and you're going to make decisions. You, you are going to get to a different place in the sun. You will. Because our kids are amazing. They really are. They are differently abled. But as that reveals itself to you, you're going to find peace in all kinds of things. Regardless of how impacted your child is, if you get the right help and support, people who just shore you up and show the love and make sure that you're safe and that everything is going well and that you can communicate with your child and your child can communicate with you, you will get to a place in the sun. It will happen. It's going to look different for everybody, but, it, but I've seen people get to that place where they're like, I know where we are. I know what we're doing. I have peace in my soul. I love my child. I know that my child loves me. And I know when my child is hurt, my child has a way of communicating that to me. Like, that's huge. And, and sometimes you get to much, much, much more than that. So stick with me. You're doing good. We hold hands. Si se puede, right? All right, my friends, I got to go. But I'll be back with you guys live on Wednesday. But do tune, tune in tomorrow to Ask Dr. Doreen. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and a big one for you as well. Bye-bye for now.